Well, hello, everybody. It's another uh, Forever Blue podcast. But of course, today it's slightly different in the sense that um, we're talking after a defeat, which is very rare these days. In fact, it's been a strange week because uh, City went out of the Carabao Cup in midweek since our last podcast, uh, albeit on penalties. Uh, but they did go out and drew nil-nil at West Ham. And then, of course, against Crystal Palace, a 2-0 home defeat with Americ Laporte sent off. We're recording this podcast a little earlier than we normally do over the weekend, recording it on a Saturday evening, um, even though it's still going out on Sunday evening. Um, but just to give you that sort of feeling that it's not long since the game completed. Uh, first of all, I want to say a big thank you to Charles Louis, uh, mortgage advisors who have a new little you created this new little jingle so um here it is <laughs> mortgage advice mortgage advice charles louis give mortgage advice charles louis mortgage advisors 0161 so there we are. That is um, Charles Louis, and that's what they do, mortgage advisors. And if you want to bring that number, of course, you can always stop and play it back and get that telephone number, or you can go on their website, charleslouis.co.uk, and you will see it all in glorious Technicolor on their website. Give them a call. Tell them that uh, you heard about them on Forever Blue. Uh, tell them that you're a blue, of course, and I'm sure that they will give you, not that they wouldn't anyway, excellent service. Now, my guests tonight are... Uh, a Manchester City legend, certainly as far as I'm concerned. He might not have played the game, but he was the head of Manchester City's academy for a long time. And I would argue that during the period that uh, this man was in charge, uh, I know there's been an academy and a youth team before that, it came on, got better and better, and sowed the seeds for what we see today. That man is Jim Cassell. Jim, thanks very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. I know you're retired now. Do you miss it? I miss it every single day, and um, I think anybody that is a football person would would always, you know, I think it was Joe Mercer I once heard when I was younger saying that um, he needs football more than football needed him, and I think that is true, you know, I think uh, I need football more than it needs me at this age, but uh, I I still keep in touch with things, you know, um, I do enjoy going out and helping people, do a little bit of uh, motivational speaking, bit of mentoring with people, and um, I really enjoy that, you know. But to be honest, you you have your time and um, you do the best you, the very best you can, and then you hope that the next uh, generation come on and do even better. Well, we'll talk a little bit later on in the podcast about some of the work that you did and how it might have changed. But um, thanks very much for joining us, Jim. It's, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Uh, I've also got two of our, my regulars, uh, our regulars, the Forever Blue podcast regulars. We have Louisa, uh, always with it. And I know a lot of this, we do it on Zoom and I can see her smiling. She's always smiling. Um, obviously, some of the time you see bits of it on uh, the YouTube channel as well. Um, it's a pity, really, that uh, that you don't see it all, but it's too big a file to upload. But you can listen to the obviously the whole audio version. But Louisa is uh, is that smiley person who's with us today, uh, even smiling after the two 0 home defeat by Crystal Palace, which takes some doing. And we have my travelling pa- companion and my mate uh, Paul <laughs> from Prestige Car Repairs. He was in. Um, Bruges with me uh, just over a week ago. We had a fabulous time out there, me and two other lads as well. Uh, and no doubt we'll be off to Leipzig later in the year as well. But always gives us another perspective as a, one of those singing fans right next to the away end. Um, so <laughs> has a, always has a great opinion about that. So a real cross-section of different types of supporters. So with that in mind, let, let me ask you to give us your verdict on, on what went wrong against Crystal Palace. So Jim... As the professional, um, give, us your, give us your measured verdict on, on what went wrong. OK, well, I think we've got to accept that the way we play, occasionally the wheels are going to come off. It's not going to, um, it's not going to be as free-flowing as we, we like to be, and we normally are, to be fair. Uh, I think there was a couple of factors came into it. Clearly, the sending off was a, was a big issue. It's always debatable whether it was a sending off or not. I actually I don't ever like to make excuses when we lose. Uh, never have when I was running the academy, and I don't like it for our first team. However, I think the referee was a massive influence on the game today because he didn't deal 
with the way that Crystal Palace set a slow tempo. Um, you know, in all in the old days, we'll be diplomatic and say a slow tempo. It's time wasting from day from the start of the game. The goalkeeper was particularly guilty, and to book him after 85 minutes was really a little bit of an insult to the game. So I thought on this occasion, the the referee was a was a, a contributing factor to our performance. Secondly, I would like to say I thought Crystal Palace got the tactics absolutely spot on. They didn't allow us to play out very easily. They picked up man-to-man on, on occasion so that uh, we didn't have what I would call quality time on the ball. And, you know, we always do this as, uh, as we think we're clever tacticians, you know, give the players that are technically not as good on the ball more time on it. And I thought Crystal Palace should take a great deal of credit for the way they set the stall out today. As I say, on another day, you know, um, uh, the goal was sloppy, which always happens. Every goal can be stopped. So I've got no real um, criticism of effort or anything like that desire. We've just had a funny week where, you know, it's just a bad day at the office by our standards. And um, we will come back because we've got the best manager in the world. We've got a fantastic setup. We've got a great um, uh, team of players. And um, being the professionals that they are, they'll be licking the wounds more than we will tonight. So I've got no worries, just a disappointing result. Um, and, you know, as we've said many times, some of the football we've seen over recent years has been outstanding. So let, let's not uh, be overly critical because we've been hit on the head today. Now, you, you, you obviously um, have said a few different things there that I'm going to play devil's advocate as I do. Um, you know, the, 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 the sending off decision, for example, when I saw Laporte bring down that player, it's straight away in my head, I thought that's a red. It's got to be a red because he was through, he's going to be through. Have you got any problem with that decision then, Jim? Yeah, I think that um, <clears throat> I think it was uh, six one after another from where I was sat in the stadium. We've not had the benefit of seeing it in slow motion on match of the day and all that type of thing. Uh, as a fan sat in the stand, we're slightly biased. We've got to say that. However, I thought it was um, the only the only defence I would give it is that it did go to VAR and it was considered for quite a number of minutes before the before it was confirmed as a red card. I thought it was a bit harsh. You know, you see some red cards and you know instantly. I thought it was a bit harsh. It's one of those things that is going to happen more and more in the game. I think um, being selfish as spectators, we want to see an honest game with uh, all the players on the pitch and the best team winning. On this occasion, it was uh, Crystal Palace, who probably won, I think, two of the last three visits now to um, to the Etihad. So, you know, they, they, um, they should get a great deal of credit. You know, I mean... I, I've, I thought I think he's a good referee, uh, Andrew Mariner, but I, I didn't think today was one of his best games, and that can happen. So let's not make excuses. We, we lost on the day. We know we think we've found a few reasons. You know, we couldn't get our tempo going. They reduced the tempo of the game brilliantly. They never got drawn out of position. We were never able to get runners in. They doubled up on us in wide positions. You know, from their point of view, they'll be delighted. Paul, um, obviously you would have been very vociferous, no doubt. Uh, because you are vociferous by nature. I don't mean that in a bad way. You know, you are <laughs> part of the atmosphere at the Etihad. And, uh, and thank you for doing that, because you counterbalance me, who sits there quiet, studiously, and watches it. So <laughs> thanks for doing what you do. But, of course, in the emotion and the passion and the singing and everything, surrounding you were all people having a go at the referee, having a go at Crystal Palace's time-wasting and tactics and everything else. So in the midst of all that emotion, what's your conclusion from it all? Uh, like Jim, I've not had a chance to, to watch it back yet. I'm literally just got straight in after the game. So um, the, the worst thing about what I stand on the segregation line, uh, block 111. So I'm right next to the away fans. And, and I think that little group of us, either side of the away fans, get VAR the worst because we go ballistic when we score. And, we, you know, you can imagine the banter between us. And we were going, still going ballistic. And then the goal, the goal gets scratched off. So we've been giving it large. And then all of a sudden, I, I, we really feel it. We really get high and then drop. Um, you know, it happened against uh, Tottenham uh, in the Champions League. You know, I was on the floor with a pile of bodies on top of me. We, we were celebrating it and, and, and we feel it worse. So I, I probably, I, I, I hate VAR. And as far as I'm concerned, if... The, the amount of time it took to make that decision, it can't have been a clear... I've not seen it, so it might have been off miles offside. I don't know. 
but they took a long time to make the decision. So in my, you know, in my opinion, it's not a clear and obvious mistake. So the referee should, you know, give the goal, uh, and it should stand because it's it's honest that the feeling you get when a VAR, a goal scratched off VAR is oh, absolutely horrendous. It's, it's obviously awful. talking about that the goal that would have been City's equal. That's it. Yeah. Sorry. So yeah. Do you, and do, you, do you think if that had gone in, the game would have turned? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. That they they they'd have had to. You know, they they sat back and sort of defended a little bit. No, I mean, they, they played well. I thought we play, I thought we played really really poorly today. Um, there was just players, and I'll call them out on here because um, you know, Kevin De Bruyne. I really don't know what's going on there. Um, every pass he virtually made went astray. I don't know what's going on. Jack Grealish. Every time he got the ball, it was the same thing. Cancelo gave it to him. He, he looked like he was going to do, you know, burst past out, outside the player and he slowly cut inside. He he killed it down the left-hand side today. He was he was poor today. Um, you know, so, you know, there's a lot of effort, but no no end products. I, I, I was really disappointed. I know we get spoiled some weeks, um, but today there wasn't anybody that I'd give over a five, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, I think Pep should have brought players off before he did. Um, you know, uh, Grealish, uh, even Foden. Um, you know, th- nobody came out smelling the roses today. It was a very bad day at the office compared to what we normally watch. It's hard to imagine that I was recording a podcast less than a week ago where David Phillips was my, my guest, former City player. And there were obviously two other people. And all we were doing the whole podcast was praising City, saying how fabulous they'd been at Bruges, how fabulous they'd been at Brighton. And here we are a week later after a a draw against West Ham um, and no goals scored, of course. And then a home defeat by Crystal Palace, no goals scored. And the whole mood's different. Um, Mm. I I mean, I I, I just find it. I mean, I, I write a newspaper column. And I'm writing last week about how perfect the football is. And I know that the opening line of my column this week is going to be something like, if a week is a long a long time in politics, you know, it, it's mm. it's even a longer time, it seems, in football, because how can things be so different? What, what, what's your take, Louisa? Um, I think overall, in general, we we did have a very poor day at the office. Um, one, one of the first thoughts I had uh, just as I was was seeing who was playing today was wow what a bench we have you know I mean it's it's wow look at the players on the pitch of course but wow look at the options that we have so I actually felt really good about the game today and the second thought I had after probably 20 or so minutes when obviously after that first goal had gone in from Palace was that we're not one of those teams that loses a game when we're at our best. We don't get beaten by other teams normally. Might be one or two, don't call me out too much. But rarely, when we're at our best, nobody can beat us. So in a way, we're our own loser. We lose our games. And that's no discredit to any other team um, in, in other respects. I don't want to be disrespectful to other teams. Everybody works hard, you know, in, from, from the floor sweeper up into the manager. Everybody works hard in a team. But we're, when we're, we're unbeatable, when we're at our best, it, we, our records prove it, our trophies prove it. So we lost that game today. Palace didn't win it. And there are a few reasons why we lost the game. I'll agree with the referee decisions on him being quite slow on the uptake. Not reading the game that well, I didn't think, because I'm sit. I sit at home. I watch on the on the TV at home, and I was noticing that Zaha particularly was actually playing for decisions today. So he was he played, I think, for that red card, and he was also then trying to play for a red card a little bit later on with Bernardo, um, and that's what really brought it to my attention with the Bernardo incident. And I started watching him a bit more then, and watching a few other players, and thinking, now these guys are playing now for these decisions. They're playing to get our players sent off. They're playing to get the referee's decision on on something, and it's working. And the referee isn't clocking onto this. 
and and me little old me sitting at home is seeing it so again it's not quite dirty tactics but it's not far away from dirty tactics of mm. making sure that they keep the lead and they'll try and extend it if they can but might be lucky if they could because that first goal let's give it was just it's a terrible giveaway to be honest it wasn't the highly highest skilled goal i've ever seen in my life it wasn't the most exceptional goal i've seen in my life it was just a poor giveaway um i do agree with the last man on the pitch being sent off if he brings a player down again saha played for it i feel so yeah but laporte got sent off can't make the argument against that um but again I think Laporte should have read it already. He should have already have thought something's going to happen, you know. And I know that sometimes you have to make a decision of, I'm better off being sent off than letting someone score. I know that's a decision defenders make. That's why they come in with with quite strong tackles sometimes. Um, you know, we've lost company. We've lost Fernandinho many times on, on a quite a crunching tackle just to stop that goal going in the net. So, you know, he made a decision, I think, and stuck with it and got sent off. Um, I don't believe it always makes a, a match go downhill. You know, we're a team that can recover. We're a team that can play with nine, ten men. Not a problem. Our defenders rarely do much work during a match. So, you know, was there an issue with him being sent off? No. I just feel we are very much missing that striker, that person in the middle, that Aguero that would have easily have connected with that ball on a few different occasions and potentially have put it in the net. Um, and Greeley, yeah, I don't want to individualise just yet because I've talked just for, you know, a bit longer than probably what I wanted to. Um, but in general terms, we lost the game today. One of the points you make there I'll, I'll pick up on, there's a lot of really good points in there, actually, but um, the sort of dirty side of the game. When I was watching the, the season last season when we were playing behind closed doors, uh, one of the conclusions I drew was that there was a lot less physical contact, that the game games, not just City games, anybody, the games felt less physical to me. And I think that's because... Um, having been to one or two of the games behind closed doors myself, not many, but the ones I did go to, um, because it was silent and you could hear everything, whenever a player was touched, there'd be screams, there'd be shouts, that you might even hear the contact. And then straight away, the referee felt would give something where now we've got crowds backing. And I'm not saying that the, the noise is drowned out by the crowd, but there is a different vibrancy in the crowd. And, and that seems to me to allow the referee and actually I'm in favour of this to let a bit more physicality happen I mean I'm a bit old-fashioned I don't deny that and I quite like a bit of physicality in football and and so I've looked at City and, uh, at times and thought is one of the things that's wrong with City that we're very very good technically brilliant footballers one of the best teams you'll ever see but we don't have that edge. I mean, Vincent, when he played at the back, was a lovely footballer. I mean, I couldn't sing his praises higher, but he knew when to commit a foul. He knew when to do something. And I just wonder whether we're a bit too nice. And whilst the anger of watching the game against Crystal Palace means that you go away saying they're dirty, they were cheating, and the referee should have punished them more. And, and whilst I might, I might agree a little bit with that, the fact is that in football, in competition, whether it be Sergio Ramos for Real Madrid in the Champions League or whether it be, you know, the derby match, which is coming up next week, where somebody puts a foot in like Roy Keane used to do on Alfie Harlan and all the rest of it, that, that you're going to come up against that and you sometimes have to fight fire with fire. You have to compete and you have to be physical back. So my, I suppose I bring Jim in on this as well, because you were a, a coach, you were you believed in the purity of football, I think, Jim, but you also spent a lot of time at, at Oldham Athletic, forever, for example, with Jim, Joe Royal. And, and, and I remember their team. In fact, they got the nickname the Yard Dogs by Jimmy Frizzell because they were snappy with players like Mike Milligan in midfield. And whilst a lot of people listening to this podcast might not know specifically what I'm talking about, the principle of having some players who are prepared to to be a bit hard and be a bit naughty sometimes is what we're talking about. A City missing a bit of that. Um, no, I think um, Louise made a good comment about the defenders and I actually slightly disagree because I think our defenders work very hard because what we're great at is pinning teams in and we do that by our defenders constantly working the back, their front players 
today it was just a system that worked because they went ahead early and it was just one of those games that didn't quite come off for us you know but in terms of the intimidation and so on um we used to only have ever in the academy you know i know now everybody has different signs the future belongs to and all this we only had one sign on the wall and that was all who think alike don't think at all and jokingly we used to say as coaches um smack them before they smack you right <laughs> now i don't mean that we would do it in that way in other words what we used to do was make sure that we didn't give anything away we were tough we were strong we were fair and we, uh, again, the comment made that you made um, about the way uh, or Louise made about City, when they play well, they're going to win. And that's what we used to say to our kids. If you play well today, nobody can beat you. You can only beat yourself. You can only lose the game. And I think that's a great point that uh, Louise came up with. We, we only lost the game today simply because the other team were well organised. Their tactics paid off. Many teams have tried different tactics at the Etihad and we've, you know, we've been able to uh, work through them and so on. Didn't quite come off for us today, but basically there should be no panic at all in our uh, ranks. We have got a terrific way of playing. 99, being creative is very difficult. You know, it's almost like a stand-up comedian in another industry. In, in the, it's very, very difficult to create all the time. And the number of games that we play and our expectation, because you've got to remember now, every single um, team that comes to, main, to the Etihad um, or plays us on their, own, on their own grounds, it's their cup time. And therefore, you know, they've all got little extra adrenaline going through them. And we have been magnificent. We've managed to, uh, through the managers' tactics and the backroom staff and the players, of course, who are the real important ones, we've found ways of un unlocking defences consistently over a period of five years plus now. Since, since Roberto Mancini came, you know, we've always been exciting to watch. And, and that's great credit to the intensity of every single person within the football side of the club and the, and the support units that surround it. You know, let, let's not underestimate what a record we have set. What a, Everybody wants to see Manchester City play now. And, you know, Ian, we can remember, and I'm sure the other, uh, uh, Paul and, and uh, Louise, you know, when we did have to go to um, places in a lower division, fight our way out of there. Now, you know, we literally are top dogs and top dogs are going to get taken down occasionally because sometimes... It just doesn't work as well as we would hope. But I, I, you know, I think all the comments that have been made have been dead sensible about today. Um, as fans, we're frustrated. We expect so much from the team. You know, Kevin De Bruyne has been magnificent and he probably wasn't quite at his best today. But Kevin De Bruyne's only thought is to be positive. You cannot complete that every single time you play. Phil Foden, his first touch is always forward. He manipulates the ball before it comes to him. He's fantastic. Grealish always wants to take people on. So, you know, Mares, we can, we can go through them all. And sometimes that just doesn't work. You, as a fan watching it, you could almost sense it was going to be one of those frustrating days today. And you can't always put a finger on it. Just before I unleash Paul again, um, just, just let me read this one out to you because I take on board what you're saying, Jim. And right. I, I genuinely mean this. There's no, I don't, don't, not let anybody think for one second I'm being sarcastic when I say that Jim is the wise man, the, the man I respect for the knowledge that he's got. And so I, I love to, to listen to what he's got to say. So I'll throw this one at you. So on Twitter, a bloke contacted me called Davey Mack. Um, and he said, City, of, this is just a statistic, I suppose, but it, it lends us into another conversation. City have failed to score in six of 16 games so far this season. They failed to score in just six of 61 games last season. So is there a problem with scoring goals? And yet, bizarrely, we scored four at Brighton. We scored five at, at, at Bruges. We put five past... Uh, Norwich and, and goals, loads of goals past Arsenal. And I've been saying all the time, it isn't about just having a centre forward. If this City score, like Louisa said, if, if we're playing, it's us that shoot ourselves in the foot. If we're playing on, on, on song, we score lots of goals without a striker, with the striker, whatever. It's just the way we play. It is, is uh, Davy Mack with his statistics, because he hasn't actually said this, but he's inferring that City have a problem scoring goals. I think there's two good points there. First of all, um, you can't not have a player in, in your ranks like Aguero has been for 10 years, whatever it was, and fill that gap immediately. I think we've done really well to, to camouflage Aguero uh, leaving us. Um, 
invariably, if we score first, we win the game because teams have to do something different. Um, however, when teams do go ahead, it does give us a problem because there's so many bodies in the box and the style that we play, it makes it very, very difficult to break us down. Um, without doubt, we have missed an out and out traditional strike. I thought Jesus did very well today, actually. I thought he really worked his socks off, tried everything he possibly could. You know, there's total speculation around Haaland. Um, you know, I really desperately hope as a fan that we we are lucky enough to uh, to sign him because in my opinion, the team that signs him will dominate for the next 10 years. And let's hope it's us, because uh, I think he is a terrific, um, a terrific talent. He's young, he's strong. I watched a documentary on him. He's so ambitious. He trains every day as though it's, um, you know, the last ball into the box that he's got to get a toe on. Um, so that's the type of player that would fit in. He's got the complete overall game that would suit the way Guardiola sees the game and, the, and his staff, how they wanted to play. So, you know, I'm sure every club that's got the money is making him a priority, but uh, he would be the final piece of the jigsaw for another number of years if we were able to get him. So in answer to the question, to sum up, if we score first, we're very difficult to beat. If we go behind, we more than often come back and win the game. However, it is much easier at the moment to play against um, ourselves uh, because we we um, uh, we haven't quite got the Jekyll factor to come on and maybe win a header in the box, that style of thing. But um, again, you know, I really think the club have done the right thing. They've not got the player they want, so they've not just bought anybody. And, um, you know, all players are good players. If you play sport professionally at any level you are very good if you play at the level that we're talking about then you are exceptional and I really think that it's part of one of the keys of uh, the, the club's success that they bought players that fit into the way Guardiola wants us to play. Now we have a young man called Harlan who's a regular contributor to the podcast and he pops up on my vlogs as well and when City lost to Crystal Palace today he came straight over to me so I've got to have my say now if you don't know who Harlan is, he's one of the most positive City fans you'll ever meet. Everything, his glasses overflowing with confidence. But today he let rip and I was quite surprised and go and have a look at the vlog on YouTube and, and see what he said. Um, and he, he was quite critical of Pep and he, he said he'd been holding this thought back for a while that there is sort of no plan B, so to speak, that, that um, you know, maybe, and, and I look at the substitutions and I'll throw this in a little bit. I was a little bit surprised to see Phil Foden start playing as the false nine in the first half. Then you see Jack Grealish playing in the uh, false nine as a, at the start of the second half. We've actually got Brazil's number nine playing in the game and we don't want to play him at centre forward or down the middle. And then when he takes off Kevin De Bruyne, which may well be because of injury, I accepted that, you know, there's, we don't know what the problem with him is. He brings on a centre-back and plays him then. Uh, with, he moves um, the, the left-back to right-back and he moves uh, Ruben Diaz to left left side of defence. And then he's starting to go down the wing, Ruben Diaz. And I'm, I'm thinking, what, what am I missing here? What's going on? So when Haaland's had a little bit of a go at Pep and, and qualifies it, I don't want to spoil what he says, so go and have a look at, at what he says. But he's more or less saying, you know, it's very difficult to do this because everybody will just jump on me and, and have a go because he's like untouchable to criticise Pep. But, but Pep does make mistakes. Did he overthink it again? And, you know, the false nines and everything. Anyway, I'm going to unleash Paul now. Uh, it, you can answer that one, Paul, if you want, or you can go off in your own direction. Go. <laughs> um, I mean, Harlan, Harlan is, he, he's a great analyst of the, of the sport, isn't he? he 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 brings to this podcast the, the he's, he's kind of a Jim Cassell kind of contributor, I think. When I when I'm not, I'm more of a knee jerk and a bit of a. I mean, I say it as it is, though. Don't worry, and you know, it's, I'm not a happy clapper. Um, if somebody's played bad, I'll say say they played bad. Um, so yeah, I I think Pep's um, flawed genius. I think is the best way to describe it. Um, some of the stuff he does is absolutely amazing. And then he'll do something else and you just think, you know, Champions League final, why has he done that? What has he done that for? Um, and I, I, again today, some of the decisions, you know, substitutions, the starting lineup, it's a great starting lineup, but, you know, to have Phil Foden not on the left, he was crying out for Phil Foden on the left today, just because he, he, he does attack, he will take it wide and he, he is a proper thorn in the side. 
But I thought today, um, Jack Grealish was was he slowed the game down for us today, and you know that's my that's my you know analysis of it. You know, I'm no tactical genius, but I, I say what I see. And but the, um, the problem that with Jack Grealish is that that's the position he's he plays. In, he's played that position every game, apart yeah, from the well, shuffle. And so that effectively means that left-sided midfield role is occupied by Grealish because he's picking him every game. Well, yeah, I get that. But is that the problem? What's happened to Sterling? Has Sterling gone off the boil because that's where he used to play. And Jack Grealish has come in and Phil Foden's there. So now he's kind of third down the pecking order. Um, you know, so it, 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 Jack Grealish, again, I'm not having a go at Jack Grealish. I just think that it was a very odd odd purchase, if I'm being honest. I don't think we needed Jack Grealish in, in the side. Um you know, was it a case we bought him because we didn't want someone else to have him? Was it a case if it wasn't Pep's decision? It, it, Pep didn't want him, perhaps. I, I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs of things. I just think it was a very odd decision. And it's kind of, we're, we're overloaded on that side with players who were very similar. Um, and then to have them, to swap them around like they did today and then keep moving them across. When you say we've got, we've got Jesus who, who, who plays for a Brazilian number nine position, it just seems... Does seem odd, as I say. In my eyes, Pep's not untouchable. You know, I'll I'll call it out if I see something. A lot of people on Twitter and social media they'll they'll say, oh, you know, we can't do anything wrong, and they'll sit there happy clapping, and you know, Man City are brilliant and everything. I I take each game as it is, and yeah, it was a blip today, um, but you know, I, I don't think we should sit here and go, oh yeah, they're, they're fantastic these players. They played badly today. Uh, for whatever reason, whether it was the opposition that made us play badly or it was a collective bad day at the office. And I think that's what it was. Um, you know, we, we should we should be able to discuss that um, without people just jumping on the bandwagon going, oh, look at you, Pep's the best manager we've ever had. Of course he is. Of course he's the best manager, but he does make mistakes, he's human. And I think when he makes one, it's a big one. You know, he, he, we, when, when City play... We don't, we don't have a mediocre game, City. We're either very good or bad. And today we were bad. Most nine times out of ten were very good. And I'm, I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving it. But as you know on this podcast, Ian, we, we, we're very honest. And, you know, we don't have to clap. We say as it is. And that's, that's my opinion on it. There was players today that it just didn't come off for. But there was some Louisa very... Was the a- setup was wrong. Louisa was nodding along to a lot of what you were saying then, Paul. So do you want to add to anything to that, Louisa? Yeah, I, you know, he is human. And of course, um, he, he makes bad decisions. I mean, we talk about missing people like Company and Aguero, but I don't know how accurate this is and if I'm going to get jumped on. But I think as far as staff goes, I think we miss Arteta. Um, you know, I don't, regardless of what is, what's happening at Arsenal, um, I do feel like him and Pep were an incredible team together on the bench. And sometimes when Pep needed to find the plan B, I, he was always in his ear. He was always there next to him. Um, and what, even if we don't know if Pep ever took any of those decisions made those decisions that that Arteta was saying down his ear I've no idea who knows but it always seemed like there was just another person to to give an opinion or to say let's try this or let's do this and maybe that's missing off the bench not just players on the pitch um I'm not necessarily I I want Haaland no matter what I'd I'd sell I'd I'd go and live in my car I'd sell everything out of my house (laughs) to to sign Haaland I really would um you know because I'm not not just because of the hype this this guy needs to come home to me he's he's coming home it's going to be poetic if he comes to Manchester City um, but I, I feel that um, there were there are players that I don't want to call out because I think Foden today actually had an absolute blinding match. I thought without him on the pitch, we, things could have got even worse, to be honest. And I felt like he was making some really amazing decisions and links. And you're right, the first ball is always going forward, whereas I've always been quite critical of somebody like Mares, who always seems to touch the ball and pass it back again to where it's just come from. You know, Foden has been amazing. And I would actually really, really like to see him maybe at the front in the middle because he's now becoming that skilled at at reading the game and controlling the ball, especially on the first hit, especially on something like a volley. 
that I think he could be one of our big goal scorers for the team. And I don't necessarily, apart from Haaland, I don't necessarily think we need to buy any kind of a striker. I think we just need to shuffle a couple of players that have that skill, that know this team inside out, that are already at home in the team and that can just be utilised in a slightly different position. I mean, look at the other few weeks ago when we put Jesus on the right side. You know, just in that slightly different position, look at what a difference a player can make to a game. So I'd really love to see Foden right at the front. I, th- I He actually reminds me of Aguero now. I don't know why. I don't know if he's been influenced off him throughout their training sessions before Sergio left or whether he's just got that particular style. And I know he looks like he's a small boy and I think it's his lovely, youthful face but he's an incredibly strong and powerful player. And I think he should be developed into one of our goal scorers. I don't know if you've done this deliberately, Louise, but this lends me perfectly now to go back to Jim and talk about the academy, which That's I said I was going to do a little bit. And I know unbelievable. that you were... Yeah, it's not as if it's... I thought, I thought she was talking about me at once. She said about this uh, angelic little face. I thought, oh, <laughs> thanks, Louise. <laughs> Well, uh, obviously, Jim, you were at City for a long time. Remind us how long you were you were there and what what your time span was. When, when did you start? And when did you? Uh, when did 1997 it end? Uh, to 2013, and uh, um, I was responsible for the academy until 2009, the end of 2009, and then I was used then for the last few years to help set up these international academies around before my time came up. You know. Um, Absolutely fabulous. Um, Every single day was brilliant. It was not a chore to work at Manchester City, I can assure you. And let's, let's, you know, reminisce a bit. You've got to remember when uh, when I arrived there, we finished up in the the lowest point in our history. We had no money. We played on a girls' school. We had a fundraising group who raised all our money to buy weights, everything, um, anything that we needed. Uh, the club never paid for a trip to take our kids uh, to tournaments abroad. We raised all that money ourselves. So, you know, it was a, it was a real um, combined effort throughout the club. Everybody was part of the academy, you know, and I thought that was the way to do it. That's why I made the reference to yourself when we first came, uh, spoke early on. You were, you to me, were a part of that um, success programme, the development, you know. So it was terrific. And, um, you know, Philip Foden, who we just touched on, he signed for the club on the 18th of May 2008. So a bit like I remember sign-ins, birthdays, Sean Wright Phillips, I think it's 25th of October or the 26th. Um, you never forget uh, important players. And um, we, we were so privileged to work with um, a, an organisation, as it was, that, that wasn't um, able to fund everything at the level that it's able to do now. But I'll tell you what, it was a real, real uh, pleasure to be, if you like, fronting that uh, process of trying to get as many kids as we could through and um, uh, you know I mean the, the the fact that Foden has gone on I think you know we've talked about the manager I think he should take the, the guy that introduced Philip Foden to the club was Terry John who was in charge of our junior academy and he worked endlessly to make sure we got uh, Foden you know and then you've got to say that the top end of it the manager Guardiola Pep has done brilliantly in pacing him through the development process at that level because he's not only helped him to develop technically as an individual player, we've already talked about it, Louise talked about it, Louisa, sorry, that you can play in any position because he's taught him how to play his systems. So, you know, you've got to say top, top marks to um, to what's gone on with Philip Foden. And we will, we will as a club, produce more young players. You know, there's, there's no doubt at all. As a developer, I'm always delighted when I see players coming through, I don't mind, you know, people think, oh, you know, it's never as good when you were there. Well, of course, we don't want that. We want it to be better than when I was there because it's so important for the development of the game, for the development of the club, you know, that, that people do become better, that they evolve and go on to the next stage. So I'm always chuffed to bits when I see whether I've had anything to do with it or not. Anything that's good for the development of our club, where I spent 16 years of my working life, our whole family of City fans, um, as far as I'm concerned, is terrific. You know, I mean, uh, you probably don't know this, but I'll tell you, when I played for Manchester Boys, you either went to City or United, 
I went to Man United. So when things go wrong at City, uh, my two sons and Moira call me the closet red. You know, how disrespectful is that? But there you go. If it makes them feel better because we're losing, they can blame me, you know. So there we are. Terrific times at City. Cannot speak too highly of all the support I had. And, and the opportunity, you know, I actually tell people, I think Man City did more for me than I did for Man City. It gave me, as a Manchester lad, if you get the chance to work at an organisation, a football club, and a game that we love at the level that I was privileged to work at, that is fantastic. So you'll never hear me say anything um, other than positive about uh, our club. I just wish I was involved, but you have your time, as I said earlier, I loved it, and I hope that the next generation of coaches, academy managers, staff, respect and enjoy the responsibility of working for Man City, as I hope we did. Well, I know I haven't got the sort of skills that you've got, Jim, and and, and have very little to offer compared to you, but one of my dreams was to have worked for the club, but I think my time has, has been and gone now, but I can appreciate what it, how you must feel of, of having that honour. Um, I do watch a lot of, and always have, as you know, I mean, when, when the team that you and, and Alex Gibson uh, were bringing through, winning the Youth Cup for the first time for ages and all that, I, I just championed the fact that we covered the games more when I was working for the BBC and, and loved doing that um, and I still go and watch the EDS, the under 18s, the under 19s, all these teams whenever I can. One of the things though I find the hardest to do Jim um, and that's I'm going to ask you your advice on this really is how you know when you see a young player in a team with their same age group playing in that level how, how do you spot the ones that are going to make it at first team level? Because I've lost the count of how many times fans say to me, who's the next uh, Phil Foden? Who, who's the next one that's going to come through? And I look at them and I think, well, you know, at the moment, for example, I go, oh, Cole Palmer's a great player. You know, Sam Adolzi's a great player. Uh, and, and I could list, you know, Finley Burnt. I could go through several players, but I can't, I'm never quite sure which ones are going to make it. Well, it's difficult. Nobody is, right? I'd love to say we knew this, we knew that. I'd be a hypocrite if I said that. Basically, I'll tell you, I had two guidelines. If I was looking at a very young player, I always looked at something they were never going to lose. So Phil Foden was always outstanding as a young lad. You didn't need to be a genius to spot Phil Foden in terms of his ability. What you don't know, of course, is how they're going to develop, how they're going to progress. We've seen many, many kids that have been outstanding at nine, whatever, and at 14, they've lost the love of football. So part of our role was to not only allow them to develop, they had to develop more than me. They, had to, they were in awe of me when they joined the club. I needed to be in awe of them when I handed them on. Otherwise, I hadn't done a good job. They had to grow beyond, beyond, uh, beyond me and beyond our staff. So that was a great thing. And we had to retain that love of the game. We always said to them, look, this is the best game in the world. I said, you know, I played two games in the third division and uh, I tell everybody, right? That's why I'm telling you tonight. I'm so proud of playing two games in the third division. Should have played more, but the manager never could spell my name on the team sheet. So, <laughs> you know, um, uh, but football has always been in our blood. I've loved every single minute. And, and realistically, you know, I always stayed in football, even when I finished with the knee problem at 24. Um, I did my coaching badges very early. So, but there was no jobs in the you know late 60s, early 70s. But I always retained some interest in football. And then obviously, the, you know, the story at Oldham where Joe and I were, I was chief scout and Joe was the manager. We had a fantastic time there. And then um, when we did go into the premiership as it is now, I had to, I was part-time then, so I had to go full-time, which was a huge wrench because I had a nice job in the local authority. Horticulture is my other great interest. And um, so, you know, I suppose in some ways I'm quite unique. I, I've actually been at Alter and Crematorium as a uh, registrar and uh, overseeing cremations and yet, also, the other side of life have helped produce premiership players. So it's quite a vast range of skills that um, I've been lucky enough to, to, um, to be involved in. And, of course, you come across many different types of people. I think my 19 years in local government prepared me really well for the other side of football because many people go from school to football to football to football. I went out into the, the public sector, as we'd call it now. It was a real skill working in local authorities. And uh, 
I enjoyed, I had no, no formal skills. I just taught myself everything. I created my own university. If I needed to find out anything, I got my wife to, to um, sit with me every week. So that I, I, we taught each other the Latin names of all the plants and I had to get 10 right every week. Otherwise we didn't move on. Uh, so that's, that's how I, that's how I believe that you, I think now I've still got loads to offer even at my age because you never ever cease learning and uh, every day is a challenge to to get up, be good, be better at something and um, I, you know, I, I think that's got to be your, your philosophy with everything that you do but um, I'll probably digress a little bit just to finish off on the player, I'll look for something they're never going to lose and I think if they've got something that they're never going to lose, you can develop it. On the other side, when I used to do the senior side of the game, I used to take away their best quality and see what they had then. So, for instance, if you would, you know, if you would take away Carl Walker's pace, for instance, but Carl Walker's still good at spotting danger, you know, he's got a great attitude. So you'd say, yeah, he might lack a yard in pace. You know, I think I think a classic, you mentioned the youth cup, Ben Mee has done absolutely brilliantly, you know. Ben Mee is an absolutely ace of a bloke, uh, top lad, top parents when he was coming through. And, um, you know, it's great to see him play and captain Burnley, you know. Um, I'm hoping in a couple of weeks to go over to Atletico Madrid. Uh, Kieran Trippier has texted me to see if I'd love to come to a game now, travel's a bit easier. It was never a, never a difficult decision to say yes, was it? You know, so hopefully at the next uh, home game, I think it's the end. I think I missed the Everton game if I do that one. So, uh, but it'd be a great experience. Uh, it'd be lovely to meet uh, up with uh, Simeone if you get the chance to do that. Because I think, I think he would have fitted into our academy because he's as nasty as we were <laughs> in, the <laughs> in the nicest possible way. He wanted to be a winner. Yeah, yeah that, that's, thing... that's one that got away, isn't it, Jim? Trippier. Yeah. You know, loved him. Um, he lived down the road from me. I used to take him home. Kieran, I said, I know what you do. I know what you're up to. He's Jack the lad, but a super lad. And I said to him, look, if you, he kicked the ball like a premiership player as a nine-year-old, you know, going back to that quality thing. And he's still the best crosser since David Beckham, who, you know, we could great credit to. Um, and what I think he has done on the Simeone, and I admire him for going to Spain and playing. I think he's improved defensively, you know. He's a key man, clearly, in the England, England setup. He's captain England. Um, a fantastic thing. But we've got to remember, I, I wouldn't criticise the club because at the time, Pablo Zabletta and Micah Richards were ahead of him. And, you know, you can't knock what they did for the club. So as a career thing sometimes that's going to happen we're going to we're going to um you know Kieran would easily fit into our system because his feet are so good he can keep the ball he can pass the ball he's got a great engine and he can cross the ball in on at pace so the thing was at the time he had to go to develop so that's not you know sometimes that's going to happen Famously, when uh, when Kieran came back onto the pitch and that, that he got injured in the Youth Cup yeah, final, didn't he? Yeah. And when he limped back onto the pitch with his leg in a plaster cast, as I remember rightly, or some brace or other, uh, I started to break down seeing him come back out there. But one thing is before Paul jumps in, I want to say is that I don't think as a society, this is not just a city thing, although perhaps they're guilty of it as well. Maybe we don't value people with experience and age. It's all about youth. It's all about you know, the young people and, and everything like that, which there's nothing wrong with young people. Um, I love young people myself, but so, there is something about the wisdom and the experience of people like you, Jim, which I don't think sometimes is valued as much as it should be. That, so that's my, my little thing. I think that could be true of every industry, you know. I mean, I regarded, uh, uh, we're scaffolding. We're there to support. And I've said earlier, you know, the nice thing is we're no threat. We're not looking for a career. We're there to ensure that the, the people that are coming through get um, get the opportunity to, to achieve what the, they want to achieve, you know. So I think that would happen in, in every, I think it should happen more. Knowledge is an aid, not a threat. And uh, I think more people in all industries, you know, I mean, some people are quite happy to retire at 65. I think I'm expect, I play golf and I expect to play better every time I go out. The sad thing is, I don't. But I'm never going to give in. <laughs> I, I, I think it's, it's so, it's so refreshing to listen to you speak, Jim. To be honest, um, you, you're so right that the the older generation has so much to offer. Um, the experience you can't, you can't buy experience. You know, you, you like you said there. You know, you, you see so many kids these days. They go straight from school 
and they got a university and they, they go on and on and on in education wise, but they're missing out on life skills. They're missing out on mixing and mingling and, you know, getting out there and, you know, the experience you've got. I mean, I've, I've, I've got my own garage and, you know, I've been doing this job for 36 years. And over that period of time, I've learned so many things, but every day I learn something new, you know, all the time. I mean, Ian will confess to this. I, I'm, I'm constantly looking for knowledge. I'm constantly looking for things in my industry that I don't know about. And it's, it's so refreshing that, you know, the, to listen to like-minded people. And I'm a massive, you know, I, you see some, you know, back to your job, Ian, you've seen a lot of presenters that do, do jobs and you're just thinking, oh, God, no, why can't we just have an old school presenter? Why can't we just have somebody that, like, gets it, you know, and, and Ian gets it, you know, when you listen to his commentaries, the, the, the fantastic, they create a picture and, you know, I'm not blowing smoke up your backside, but you do still owe me that 20 quid from uh, Bruce, by the way, Ian. So. <laughs> um, sorry, I was just going to ask you, Jim, earlier. I mean, obviously, I don't want you to name names because it, it, it'd be wrong to do that. But there are people that you came across that were absolutely amazing skill-wise, but their attitude, their mental attitude or whatever, let them down and root, stop them going to the highest level. Please don't name names because I wouldn't want you to do that. Well, no, I mean, I'd be quite happy to do that because we we tried to vet um, because, you know, football gets a lot of criticism for the, the, the sort of say that we throw people out of the game and we put them on the scrappy. Well, I never wanted that ever to be thrown at Manchester City at all while while I was there. So we I, I took um, great time and patience to mix with the parents, to get to know the parents, because they, whether they liked it or not, were developing the other side of their son. The schools was important. So, you know, you, you, can, you can actually um, try and, and make sure that you don't get... A lot of people will come into the game because they're, they're just naturally talented. Part of our job was to make sure that they were naturally talented between the years, you know, that their attitude was right. So that that was a massive factor. And I tried to pride ourselves on that. There's there's one player, and I know he won't mind me saying this, but one of my favourites uh, as a player, and it's so sad that injury caught him and the club was moving on, was Michael Johnson. I think um, had Michael not picked up the injuries when he did, I know Sven, when he was manager, absolutely thought he was going right to the very top. And, and I'm sure he would have done. And, um, you know, Michael, to me, was, was uh, in a sense, um, through whatever reasons, uh, and, and I'll tell you what, you know, there'll always be different things said about Michael. He was strong. He loved it. anybody that takes the ball all around the pitch. He was a complete midfielder. He could make a goal, score a goal, stop a goal. He could play long. He could play short. You knew where he was on the pitch all the time. And, uh, you know, um, some people are naturally good trainers. I think Michael probably needed um, to be perfectly fit all the time to enjoy his football because it's so easy now. I mean, the massive improvement since I was a player is sports science and the medical support that you get. I think sometimes they might have too much to say in how much time people have on the pitch now, but that's another uh, another debate. I, I think that that is a massive improvement. And uh, unfortunately, Michael was just one of those that um, had the, a niggly injury that, to me, cost him a, an awful lot of his career. I mean, we can go through them. Stephen Ireland, terrific talent, great vision. Righty, never gave you a bad, a bad game, the rubber man. Attitude. 100%, you know, you just couldn't fault him. Uh, Micah Richards, great defender, superb athlete, great leaper, most talented, Daniel Sturridge, you know, we, we can go through them. The most competitive, Joey Barton. I love Joey. And, um, you know, um, Ian will probably tell you, I did a little bit of mentoring with him when he was at Fleetwood. Uh, terrific company to be in, taught football every single minute of the day. And, um, you know, I hope, I uh, hope that Joey goes on to do more and more in the game because he's got uh, got a lot to offer as a coach and a manager. So, you know, that's probably a little plug for him because everybody loves to knock Joey. And, and I tell you, the, the, he is, uh, he's always loved his football and uh, never, ever was an ounce of trouble when he was in our academy, I can assure you. He was fantastic. Great trainer, loved the game. And I really hope he goes on and, uh, you know, achieves what I think he's capable of achieving as now a coach or a manager. 
I can't wait for the next time you're on the podcast, Jim, as this one comes towards a conclusion, because uh, I just can't tell you how much I've enjoyed listening to what you've had to say tonight, as well as Paul and Louisa, of course. I want to just finish this podcast, though, by quickly looking ahead to the Manchester Derby. I know there's the game against Bruges in midweek first, but this will be our last podcast before the Manchester Derby. So I just wonder, having watched them win at Spurs now and bounce back after their humiliation against uh, um, Liverpool, I should say, uh, and knowing that we've, since uh, that 5-0 defeat that they had, lost the home game against Crystal Palace and also gone out of the League Cup, what the mood is now ahead of the Manchester derby. And I know the, the, the easy way to say it is it's a great leveller and you never know what's going to happen in Manchester derby, but let's have some opinions. What do you think, Jim? Uh, a city favourites to go to Old Trafford at still. I'll tell you what, as Louisa said earlier, if we play well and they play well, we will win at the moment. There's no doubt on that. Um, and a measure of any team, any club that is um, the tops, which we are at the moment, is how you deal with a setback. And the one thing, you know, we've sort of uh, said things plus or minus of Pep's management, which I personally feel I haven't got the right to even go anywhere near him you know I think he's been fantastic um but he will he will uh, in my opinion uh he'll sort this out today he'll sort it out tonight he'll sort it out with the players and as I said uh, the, the measure of any anybody that gets knocked back is how quickly you get up again and uh, I think it's a perfect opportunity for us to get up and make a statement next week Louisa um, I, I think I'm a bit worried with, you know, their Cavani and Ronaldo and Rashford, you know, especially after today. They they actually didn't play that hot today. They they did well, right? They did well. They won the game and they scored three goals. But um, I I think if we'd have played them today, not the way we were playing today, but if we'd have played them today at our best, we'll definitely beat them. Um, what I think I'm excited about is I actually think it's going to be quite a high scoring match. So, of course, I want us to win. I'm a, I'm a blue at the end of the day. Um, but it's going to be a tough match after the last two defeats that we've just had. And, um, you know, psychologically, it's going to be tough for the players um, to go to Old Trafford and to get a win. Um, but you know what we're like at Old Trafford. There's just this psychology and mentality that the last few years we have absolutely risen to that occasion. So lots of goals, please, guys, from both sides. And, yes, let's win. Oh. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm old school on this. I hate playing United anyway. Derby days, I hate them. Don't matter. I feel sick now thinking about it, if I'm being honest. Um, but having just said that, United are absolutely bobbins. Um, you know, they might have beat Tottenham today. I've, I've only, I've just found out they beat Tottenham 3 0. Um, it'll be individual goals, there'll be no team effort involved. Pet, Pet won't be happy what's happened today. The players won't be happy. We're playing it to Old Trafford. If we was playing at the Etihad, I think I'd be a bit more worried because we don't seem to do so well at home against them recently. But um, I think we're going to absolutely spank them. And you know what? If I'm wrong, I don't care. I'm not bothered. I've got big shoulders. I'll take it. We're, we're going to spank them next week because they do one, aren't they? Did you another 6-1? It's 10 years ago last week, wasn't it? So did you another big spanking? So uh, bring it on. Come on, City. Jim, uh, Jim can, I just say, can I just say one thing on that one? The reason I think <laughs> I meant to mention earlier is that if you don't function as well as a team, there's usually two very basic things. One, you don't close down quickly enough, you, and we didn't hustle as well today. And secondly, you have too many touches on the ball. So I think both of those things, we slipped into that category, which can sometimes help. You know, maybe we're complacent. I would very much doubt that with the mentality that we have. However, th that is a fact. But today... You know, we tended to play with the ball without really doing the other side of it as well as we normally do. So if we step up and we play our great one-touch movement, third man running all around the pitch, there's no reason at all why we shouldn't win comfortably next week. Yeah, we need, we need fast legs Kyle Walker to be chasing down Ronaldo, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> oh. I'll go with the wisdom of Jim Caselta to, uh, to give us that optimism going into the, uh, the derby. <laughs> uh, Jim, thanks very much. It's been lovely to have you on. We'll get you on again soon if that's all right. No problem. Um, 
We've also got to, to thank Louisa and Paul, of course, and thanks very much to charleslouis.co.uk, uh, the, uh, the the sponsors of this podcast. So thanks very much to them, to Dave, who's uh, the top man over there uh, for supporting the podcast. Um, in the meantime, even when you're feeling a bit down after a defeat, um, one thing I can guarantee you is win, lose or draw, it's great to be a blue. <laughs>